Welcome to Be The Difference, stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. Be The Difference is brought to you by back-to-back ministries who exist to be the voice for orphan and vulnerable children around the world. And I'm Sammy Matthews, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. Yeah, Sammy, let's get going. Chris, I'm excited about this one today. We both got to sit down and interview Brian Berman. He is the president and co-founder of Project Manana. Project Manana exists to share the gospel and help break the cycle of poverty by investing in impoverished children, their families, and communities. They do things like provide clean water, healthy nutrition, education, and they also have discipling projects. They're based in the Dominican Republic. Brian's lived there since about 2007, and he lives with his wife and kids, and today he's going to tell us the story of how he ended up there. Yeah, a couple of things that you're going to listen in for as you process our conversation with Brian um, are these. The first is to listen about the transformation from things to people. As Sammy just mentioned, this massive list of things that Project Manana does is all directed toward a community of people and an effort to belong. So listen for that. The second thing that you're going to listen for is actually going to be more of a way that you're going to listen. Listen at his pace. Brian is a brilliant storyteller, but he moves. He moves quickly through stories. He has a lot of humor in there, but they are powerful. So hold on tight for a really powerful and moving episode around the art of story and how it's transforming a life. Oh, Brian, it is great to have a conversation with you and to be able to just spend some time introducing the Be The Difference audience to Brian Berman and uh, Project Manana. So I'm going to ask you this question up front. If you could describe like pre-2007 or pre-I live in the DR, Brian, in three words, how would you describe them? I would say it's investing in things. And that Mm -hmm. kind of plays into my mantra, which is now post-DR after several years, but investing in things was the three words that would have characterized me about 13 years ago. What were some of the things? I was trying to live the American dream, and uh, I was taught from a young age, get a job, do well in school, get a job, go to college, uh, be successful. My father had a corner office and a couple secretaries, his name on a parking place out front, and that looked really good to me. And so growing up and walking through the halls as a little guy when I visit him at the office uh, was very attractive. And I thought that was success. And I knew that I had to achieve that and had to supersede that. Uh, being his son, I had to do him a one up. And so mm-hmm. it was to invest in things and that my success uh, would be rated on how well I did in business and managed my finances and my family and everything else. So you had a pretty clear trajectory you were following. Like you were on a path that had been set out for you. What made you change course? Like was there like a trajectory changing moment for you? Yeah, 100%. It was clear from really a young age. If you would have asked me, I would have told you that was where I was going to go. And um Frankly, it was the path that I thought I was on. And I did graduate 4.0 out of high school. I graduated 4.0 out of college. I did really well. I got a great job at a young age with kind of a Doogie Hauser story and worked my way up the corporate ladder to an executive at a Fortune 100 company. And I had achieved. I was doing it. This is what I thought was supposed to be. And life was going well. I was very uh, happy. I was successful. I had friends. Um, I don't know that I was content, though, and I realized that every rung that you got to on the ladder 
there was one more rung above you, or there was one more thing to do. Or when I got a new car, two years later, I needed to get the newer, newer car, uh, a bigger house. And, and it just seemed like a treadmill to continue. Um, and to your point, there was a definitive moment, and that is on March 18, 2003. I can even give you the time of day. Uh, it was probably about 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we were there to celebrate uh, at an event, a local school teacher in Simi Valley, California, where I grew up. And the reality was there was not enough space in the local school cafeteria where they held their assemblies. And so a church down the street volunteered to let the uh, people rent out the space and, and opened it up. And they used city buses to bus in people. And I uh, was fortunate enough to get a front row seat. There was over 2000 people at this event. Uh, they had a huge video screen and they played a wonderful video um, about Ingrid and uh, her accomplishments and her students. And I watched Ingrid for many years. I knew her very well. And I would watch this woman from 7.30 in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon do school time. And then she would stay after and teach the leadership team and the swing dance club and the chess club. And I couldn't understand why a woman would want to spend so much time with these, you know, uh, middle school and high school students, uh, but she absolutely loved them. And finally, on March 18th, 2003, uh, she was getting celebrated and, and people were recognizing her, even though she had won best teacher in the yearbook many times over. And uh, as I sat there in front, the MC said, is there anybody that like to say something about Ingrid? And I'll tell you guys, it was like popcorn. People were mm, jumping wow. out of their chairs to line up at the microphone. And let me just give a moment of transparency. At the moment when we were celebrating and thinking about Ingrid, me and my investing in things mentality, my selfishness, my arrogance, whatever you want to call it, I will accept. I'm thinking about me. And I'm thinking, would anybody celebrate me? What would mm -hmm. they celebrate me for? Uh, certainly not 2,000 people. No one would play, play a video about anything that I've done. Um, and so I really started becoming introspective in that moment. And I wish I remember what people said, uh, but I don't until the very end, the MC said, is there anybody else? And way in the back of the room, this little girl stands up. She's beautiful. She's about 13 years old, maybe these huge blue headlight eyes. And she stands up and she starts walking down the center aisle of this church. And it's an old style church with pews and a, and a carpet runner that goes down the center. And she's got her head down. She's shuffling her feet. You can see physically she's shaking, terrified probably to speak to 2,000 people. And as she walks down the aisle, people kind of turn their head back to see her pass. And everybody is silent to see what she's going to say. And I just locked onto her and watched as she got up to the microphone and with her head down and shaking and in a broken, raspy voice, uh, stuttering, she says, y y you know, Ingrid doesn't, doesn't know this, but I used to get detention in her class because I didn't have a mom like her at home and I just wanted to spend time with her because she invested in me. And there it was, guys. March 18th, 2003, when I realized you can invest in things or you can invest in people. And it changed my trajectory forever. And now, let me finish the story just real quickly. March 18th, 2003 was Ingrid's 25th anniversary to my father, Carrie, and my mother, Ingrid Berman, 
that was the day that she also went to be with the Lord. And we were at her funeral that day. Hmm. And it's not a story of sadness. It's a story of wonder. It's amazement. It literally took me from a corporate executive office in Southern California with a great paycheck and all the things that anybody could ever want to a little alleyway in the Dominican Republic in an apartment that was $60 a month with no hot water and very little electricity to serve people. And obviously there's a story in the middle of that, but that was my moment. I can tell you that changed the trajectory of my life. So after that moment, wh- where do you go? What do you do next? Like you you're different inside, but now your life on the outside has to change. Yeah. So you can imagine walking out of those church doors that day, I had a ton of questions, no answers. And so through 2003 to 2007, I went through a process of starting to understand what my priorities were. And by the grace of God, I started serving in the high school ministry at the church I was at in California. And the youth pastor said, hey, we're going to take a group of of some of the high school students and some adults on a one-week mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Would you like to help me co-lead the team? And I remember my response was immediate. And I literally said, where's the Dominican Republic? Had no (laughs) clue. He actually said, well, it's in the Caribbean. I said, perfect. I'm in. That's no problem. (laughs) That was April of 2007. Four days into my seven-day mission trip, after seeing things, after touching things, after hugging kids, after swinging hammers, after carrying blocks, after sweating more than I've ever sweat in my life, after praying more than I probably ever prayed in my life, I came home after the fourth day and I pulled Dan aside, who was the team leader, the pastor that had taken us down there. Interestingly, Dan McSwain is now our chairman of the board for Project Manana. Uh, But I told Dan, I said, Dan, I'm not going home. I have literally used my gifts and talents to make hundreds of millions of dollars for corporate America. And now I believe that God is calling me to use my gifts and talents to give a voice to those that don't have a voice. And he told me I was crazy. I'm sure he was excited, uh, wanted to be pastoral with me, but at the same time, he wanted to make sure I wasn't making an emotional or rash decision. And later on, we talked about that. He told me if I could talk you out of it, then I knew that it wasn't really a, a sound decision, but uh, here I am 13 years later, and um, and it was. I literally called my boss that evening. Uh, the deal that I had with my boss was that he would give me the week off to take the mission trip. Um, if I accepted a promotion when I got back, which was very generous and wonderful, but really it was just taking on more work and more headaches. And so um, that's how I got him to leave. And when I called him from the Dominican at about 9.30 at night, uh, I told him, I said, Nathan, just so you know, when I come back, we need to talk. And uh, he couldn't believe what he was hearing. When I came back, you know, he told me, come back and you can, you know, kind of sober up off the mission trip, if you will, and we'll talk. And I sat in his office and I shared my heart. And by the end of it, we're both in tears. And he said, Brian, as much as I would love to talk to you out of it, I don't think there's any way I could. And so I left August 2007 out of corporate America, uh, just a few months after my first mission trip with no knowledge of the Dominican, no knowledge of Spanish, no knowledge of anything in missions or international ministry. By December 31st, uh, I was living the Dominican. I sold everything or I gave away more than I sold. And I took two suitcases of clothes and a laptop computer. And I moved to Santiago, Dominican Republic. I'm hearing this uh, kind of like even two-sided piece of a conversation that has this early season of your life where unknowingly you're actually learning the skill set 
that you're going to need, even, even if like being investing in things is the goal, you're, you're learning the skill set of how to be great at making things happen. And then you also have this other side of, but I want to make things happen for people and not just for the things themselves. Do you see that um, in reflection that those early years where you are successful in school and in business gave you the skill set to be able to go to the DR without really a massive plan and you still had the toolkit ready to go to be able to make some things happen? I believe that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I am the number one example. I am the least likely candidate to be doing what I do every day and to be able to serve with the people I do. And 100%, Chris, to your question, looking back, the trajectory that I was on was perfectly planned by God. All of the tools and the interpersonal skills and even to budgeting and profit Mm -hmm. and loss statements and all the administrative tech stuff that we need to do, it was all planning in perfectly Uh, to be able to do this work here in the mission field. Yeah, I think that's really important for us to just um, acknowledge is that nothing is wasted. It is a learning journey to be able to figure out like what that new trajectory is. And that's my next question is at what point in, you know, that launch of I'm on a mission trip, I'm going to change the trajectory of like what my professional career is going to be. But this is really about me finding purpose for myself is what I'm hearing up front. When did that purpose start to take hold that this is a purpose for others to join in and this is actually going to be the the mission statement of Project Manyane? Yeah. So when I first moved to the Dominican, uh, December 31st, 2007, I joined another ministry that was well-established, had been in the country for about 25 years at that point. Um, And funny story is they hired me as their vice president to do all the administrative corporate stuff that I was kind of trying to leave behind. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to hug kids in the field and, uh, and do arts and crafts. Um, so <laughs> that I look at even there, and that was my boot camp. Uh, mm. Three years I spent with that ministry. It's a wonderful ministry. And uh, that's eventually where I ended up meeting my wife and through life events and deciding that it was time to transition. Uh, that three years gave me the ability to look and see Uh, really what it is that I wanted or understood that I could do in the Dominican. And and I came down with an incredible amount of uh, pride, confidence, arrogance. I mean, the reality was I was successful in almost everything that I touched. And I give all the glory to God, of course, for that. But I worked my, my tail off to make that happen. And I came down with that same pride and arrogance and confidence to a culture, to a language, to a people, to a country, to everything that I was a fish out of water. And within six weeks of being on the field, I had the famous missionary breakdown. I I crashed. I realized that um, I I can't speak the language. I can't connect with people. My my talents and my gifts that are interpersonal communications and, and, and different things didn't translate, literally. And so that was a huge moment. I also realized that the organization that I was working with uh, really focused a lot on uh, bringing down a lot of short-term mission teams, which is wonderful, and we do at Project Manana. Uh, But I started seeing a need that there was no investment in the nationals. There was no investment in edifying national leadership and building sustainability and really saying, what happens when our wonderful friends go back home after their week and we leave kind of a, a vacuum or a void? 
So rather than kind of, you know, complain or criticize that, I said, well, I could probably help to fill in that void. Yeah, there's a quote that I like that says, in the economy of God, nothing is wasted. And that's what I keep hearing in your story. Like in the economy of God, he has used everything that was pre-DR Brian and everything that went into that to then build Project Manana and do what you're doing today. And in the economy of God, nothing is wasted, even the hard things. So what about this building a nonprofit, living in the DR, being a missionary? What has been harder than you expected? My wife is a Dominican national, and her background is the exact opposite of mine. She grew up, by the grace of God, was a sponsored child through another ministry. And literally by her getting a plate of food every day, by her getting uh, the, the ability to go to school, I mean, they not only saved her life physically that she could eat because her family was starving to death, but she was able to get an education. And not only that, she was able to grow up around Christians that were caring and loving and nurturing. And so you're talking about not wasting you know, any time or our backgrounds or the equities that we've built up. When her and I got married, I gave her the, the, the talk when we got engaged and I just said, let's just call it what it is. Uh, if you want, I understand my role. I will provide for you and take care of you and our children in the future. And uh, we can move back to California and I'll get a great job and we'll live happily ever after and get a white picket fence. And I'm very good at that game. We'll go back to that. And she said, I want to do to as many people what was done to me. And it was in that moment that I just realized all of the pain and suffering that she had gone through and and nights when I can't even imagine what it would be like for her to go to bed with an empty stomach. And yet she wants to stay and she wants to just help as many other people. How are the two of you like working collaboratively in the day to day when it comes to Project Manana? It has been the most incredible journey. And we have brought each of our skill sets, our passions, our gifts and talents, and frankly, our different personalities uh, that clash oftentimes um, together. And God has somehow molded that and used that and and is continuing to refine us because we have certainly not arrived and certainly not figured it all out. Um, And we've had the good times and the bad times. Just one story, you know, I've, I've shared some just great successes and fun, neat stories, but you know, I've also failed big time, many times, and made mistakes. And one of those mistakes came about two summers ago, and we were out in the middle of an area called Cienfuegos, which translates to 100 fires. It's literally a trash dump where people have kind of put squatter homes in made out of wood and any other materials that they can find, and it's a tough place to live. And we've created through our clean water project, we've created this opportunity to deliver in-home point-of-use water filtration systems. And that day we were with a mission team. We had about 20 people there from North America. They're excited. They've decorated their bucket uh, that connects to the water filter with just beautiful art and verses that they're going to give to these people. And we go out and one of our translators doesn't show up for work that day. And we are down a translator. Well, being a good missionary, we never want to let the North American mission team know that there's something wrong. So we're trying to (laughs) smile through it and we're trying to just behind the scenes, fix everything before anybody can figure out we're down a translator. And I'm on the telephone and I'm calling. And by the way, the sun is baking. The humidity is like 190%. We're cooking out in the, in the hot sun and I'm just getting stressed and frustrated and I can't find a, a translator. 
And frankly, I don't know what's going to happen. And just as that starts to happen, the team leader realizes something's going on. And so the team leader comes over and says, hey, is everything okay? And at this point, right, we're outed. And I've got to tell the team leader, hey, we're, we're down a translator. And uh, I'm thinking this is the end of the world. And so I start to share with the team leader, of course, sweat pouring down my brow. My son, who at the time was eight years old, comes up to me and he starts pulling on my shirt. And I'm literally swatting him away and saying, honey, not right now, honey, not right now. And as I'm sweating more and as I'm trying to wordsmith this to the to the team leader to say that it's not totally the sky's falling, he's getting more and more intent on communicating. Poppy, Poppy, he's trying to get me. So I actually snap at him and I said, honey, mm. we have a problem here and Poppy's trying to resolve this. I can't talk right now. Can you go wait for Poppy in the shade? And of course, the team leader looked at me, probably several other people looking at me. It was one of the worst parenting moments of my life. And still, my son looks up at me and says, I just wanted to tell you, Poppy, by this point, uh, tears are rolling down his eyes. I can be the translator. Oh. And in that moment, of course, the team leader, who was much more godly and much more fatherly than I was, swooped in and said, we would love to have you as the, the translator. And so even after that, you'd think I'd learned my lesson, right? No, I decided I'm going to go with that team and I'm going to stand behind my eight-year-old son and boy, if he screws up, I'm going to swoop in and I'll save the day and it'll all be great. And as we're walking to the houses and he's walking next to this team leader, this adult that's, you know, four or five times his age, they're having a conversation about Project Manana. And my son, as if he was our number one salesman or the president himself, <laughs> is sharing better than I could have ever shared and talking about what we're doing and why we're doing it and just such eloquence. And when he gets to the house, he translated verbatim perfectly with passion. And even when the team leader screwed up and said it only produced 100 gallons a day, he said, well, actually, I think it produces 150 gallons a day. And I learned then and there, no matter who you are, God qualifies the, call, the called. He doesn't call the qualified. And, and that was a failure moment of mine. But of course, as God does, he translated it into something so beautiful. Um, but that's a moment that I'll never forget. Brian, I was going to ask you how you've changed, but I think that's really evident in our conversation so far that you are a different person than you were 13 years ago. And so I'd love to circle back and ask, how would you describe Brian today in three words? Mm. I would say it's the other side of, of what I started. You can invest in things was the old Brian, or you can invest in people. And I'll tell you, now that I've been doing it for over a decade, what gives you a better return is investing in people. And uh, I still carry a lot of who I was from, from the pre-2007 transition into mission work in Dominican Republic. But I've also realized that there's a lot more at stake and more important things to focus on. And if we all just gave what we had, when I look at my own life, the challenges and the stresses came from when I was trying to self-please or achieve or control or achieve what I wanted, the path that I thought, the thing that I thought, the result that I wanted. And sometimes it worked out, but I would say more than not, it didn't. When I see a child, a young girl that's in our program that uh, has gone through six, eight, ten years from the time she's a, a preteen uh, young girl and into her young adult ages. 
and her mom and her aunt and her neighbors are prostitutes and her track would have otherwise been into prostitution. And yet she's now received several years of people investing in her and building great morals and, and biblical principles and told her that her beauty and self-esteem are there because God put them there. And she decides to become a nurse or a teacher or a mechanic or whatever it is. That for me gives me a much better response than any bonus check or uh, or attaboy certificate I could have ever gotten in, in my previous life. You've changed a lot over 13 years and I feel really confident you're gonna just going to keep growing and changing. I don't think you're ever going to stay still. No, I... I'm running. I'm running on premium fuel. <laughs> yeah, this entire time that you've been talking, Brian, the words that you gave as the three words of invest in people has been ringing true for me. And as I hear your energy, I would add three more to the end that you are just becoming known for invest in people, whatever it takes. Mm. And all of these different ideas and these opportunities um, are pathways of investment for the equity of people, whatever it takes. And on behalf of each of those people, the ones who were on that first mission trip with you that felt your energy just as participants uh, to the most recent little girl who doesn't know who to thank that she's not going into human trafficking, but knows she's not going into human trafficking now. Um, those stories are all tied together. And I don't believe that we need to wait until your moment of legacy, um, like your dear mom, Ingrid, that we um, instead, uh, we can say thank you today. Because I imagine a little girl would walk down the middle of an aisle with a note, um, and it would say something like that to you. Um, I also believe that those who've been encouraging along this way would have some words for you. And we have a mutual friend, and I just wanted to close with this. I reached out to him. His name's Dan McSwain. I'm pretty sure he got you to go. Um, on this trip the first time. And I just asked him if he were, had a moment to thank you um, for being on this journey with you, what would he say? And he said, that week on that trip changed everything for Brian. He was never the same. That trip altered the trajectory of his life. And he has worked tirelessly ever since to bring hope to the Dominican people. His heart broke for them that day. And he fell in love with them on that very first trip. He said, Brian, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I echo that just joy and excitement. And I know Sammy does as well. We're just honored to have shared this space with you. We're thankful for all the words that you just deposited into, into us. And we are cheering you on as you invest in people. Thanks for joining us today. Chris, brilliant move getting that text from Dan McSwain. I I mean, a little behind the scenes for the audience. You had told me you asked him, yep. but we didn't have a response when we started recording. So I, I didn't know if that was going to happen or not. No, I mean, straight last minute move. As we were preparing for the interview, I thought, I want to I wanna say thank you differently this time. So I pinged my longtime friend, Dan. I've known him since college. And while I didn't have a relationship with Brian, I've had such a relationship with this person that I know is influential with him, which I think is a really healthy thread in, in our life of like how many different people connect us. Mm. But it was about halfway through the episode and I looked down and see Dan came through with some words. That so perfect. let's just surprise everyone with this little thank you. It surprised me too, me yeah. and Brian. It was so fun. Uh, I loved reading the words and I loved reflecting on that. 
uh, relationship and how it has grown. And that was a thread for me. What's a thread for you that you noticed throughout this episode? The whole time, Brian had this constant thread of moving from investing in things to investing in people. And it was really evident how that showed up in his life. And obviously, I started to self-reflect and think, okay, when in my life am I investing in things rather than people? What are some of the whys behind that? What do I do about that? Um, I think that's a question we can all be asking. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was powerful how transformative that shift was for Brian, Mm -hmm. that he has really built his now worldview around people. And even as you described what Project Manana is about in the DR, and as Brian would describe who's on staff implementing these things, it's people that he has relational investment with to stories about his wife, to stories even about a redo with his son. And I know that one stood out to you too. What was powerful about that for Well, it was just, I think, the humility of sharing a time when he had totally failed and messed Mm. up. I don't think a lot of us want to tell stories on a podcast about when we But we all have them, right? Yeah. But we don't necessarily want to share it on a podcast that I totally failed and screamed at my kid. But I was so grateful that he did. Because I think we can all relate to that moment when – We were trying to save face or look like we were the answer or had the solution and ended up taking it out on people that we love and care about. Yeah, in another like standout moment for Brian, not knowing how powerful his story is, in the research for that day and having a conversation around him, I had scrolled through a little bit of his social media and I saw that just a couple of days before we talked to Brian, he had been caught in a moment where he was preaching and didn't have a translator at a church service. And he called on his son. What a redo. And his son walked up and translated for him. And we don't have that captured here. But just thinking about this oh no moment that happened before. And now just this week, another redo happens in this way where he and his son are bonding over this this shared communication. It's pretty powerful. Well, and that just speaks to Brian that I feel like he has these moments of learning and then he changes and shifts. Like, yeah. His moment with his mom at that story at the beginning, I was, I kind of forgot we were doing a podcast and I was just listening to him. You're just with him. He takes you with him on the journey. And I think that's a great takeaway for us is uh, listening to others with such intentionality Hmm. that uh, we let them take us with them as they go. And audience, we have a question for you. Like we haven't really interacted in the past, but we're going to ask you to interact (laughs) now. Like find us on social media. It's back-to-back ministries. And you'll see some of the posts that just have the Be the Difference episode on there. We just want to know when did you know. That it was his mom? Yeah, because I was looking at Sammy like, (laughs) wait a minute, is she in? Because I I think I know who this is. Does she know who this is? And then when he's like, and then that woman, what? And we're like, look at you coming through. Did you know in the beginning, in the middle, at the end, where you moved? Did you like where you moved to tears. Tell us your response as Brian shared that story. I would love to hear that because honestly, I like thought I knew, but I didn't really know until the moment that he said it. And then it made everything he had shared and then everything that I already knew about his life make so much more sense. Yeah. And as he finished sharing in that, I did get caught up in a moment where I wondered, uh, who can I share a legacy moment like that with now? Like, what would it have been like for that little girl to share a note with his mom in real time, in real life, and then be able to have that interaction as well? And I don't believe Brian lost a moment there. I think he captured a moment. 
But the, but the lesson for that for me is to not lose moments and to capture them and to look at the people around me and tell them about their worth and their value and their transformative impact in my life now because I don't know who's watching. And that's what we want to leave you with is just those three things of just think about things and people, think about redos, and think about legacy and who you want to share a story with. For information about Project Manana, you can find links in the show notes. You can also find links to their social media. And by that, you can find Brian's social media. Find that video of his son translating his sermon. Thank you to Kohatch Mason, to our awesome producer, Mikey. And we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>